the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God basically says to the people, what have I done to you? That you should act like this. I don't know if you've ever thought of that in your life before. I I know that I have. There have been times in my life where just gently the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart saying, you know, what have I ever ever done to you that you should treat me like this? And God is basically saying to them, as I think that he still says to us, have I not blessed you? Has there ever been a time in your life when no matter how often you tried to help someone or be kind to them, They only saw the bad in your relationship and complained about the unpleasant things? Did you want to sit them down and list all the good things that you've done for them? All you really want is to hear them say thank you. Well, in today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to be thankful for all of the good things that God has done for you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Micah as he begins his message, The Sea of Forgetfulness. In uh, the book of Micah today, we're closing out the Old Testament, looking at the last 12 books of the Old Testament known as the Minor Prophets. We're halfway through now. Micah is number six out of the 12. His name is actually pronounced Micha. Micha. So one of our worship pastors is Micha Reeser, and uh, you are free to call him Micha from now on. But actually, uh, Micha is a contracted form of Micayahu, and Micayahu in Hebrew translates, who is like God? In other words, it's a name that basically says that God is incomparable. Who is like God? So if any of you guys have the name Micah, it's a strong name that reflects the incomparable nature of God. We know very little about this prophet. Most of what we know is found here in chapter 1, verse 1. If you look at your Bibles real quickly with me. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And so the word of the Lord came, which he saw, because prophets in those days were often called seers, because God gave them visions, and then they spoke forth what God had 
told them and what God had put on their hearts and the visions that he saw. So what we learn about Micah here, very little, but we find out he's from Morasheth. That's the name of the town uh, from which he comes. And Morasheth is located about 25 miles due west of Bethlehem, closer to Philistine territory. So Micah is a country boy. He's not from the city. He's from the country about 25 miles west of Bethlehem. And it tells us the time frame of his ministry. It spans the reigns of three different kings of Judah. Now, remember at this time in your history, Israel is a divided nation. They've gone through a civil war. So the larger part of the country to the north is known as Israel. The smaller part of the country to the south is known as Judah. And each has their own capital city. The capital city to the north is Samaria. The capital city of the south is Jerusalem. And each territory has its own kings. And so it tells us the names of three kings of the southern territory of Judah, Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. Jotham was a good king. Uh, Ahaz was a very bad king. Uh, Hezekiah was a mostly good king. And the time period of their reigns covers about 50 years, from 750 to 700 BC. So that's when Micah is ministering. Whether he ministered all 50 years or a portion of that, we don't know for sure. But it spans that time period of 750 to 700 BC, making him a contemporary of other minor prophets, Hosea and Amos, and one of the major prophets, Isaiah. So they all minister during that same time, Hosea, Isaiah, Amos, Micah. They're all ministering at the same time. And Micah, interestingly, is ministering to both the north and the south because at the end of verse 1, it tells us things concerning Samaria, capital city of the north, and Jerusalem, capital city of the south. So he is sent by God to speak to both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Micah is probably best known for a scripture verse that is often quoted at Christmas time because he is one of uh, really the, of all the prophets who prophesies the birthplace of the Messiah. He mentions Bethlehem as being that place where God makes his grand entrance into the world. Micah 5 verse 2, it says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, Ephrathah is just the ancient name of that region. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, though you're this tiny little village among all the towns of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And so Micah famously prophesies 700 years before the birth of Christ, the actual town into which God comes. Uh, now, how do we know this is a messianic passage? How do we know that Micah 5 2 refers to the Messiah, refers to Jesus? Well, number one, because when the wise men came from the east, guided by a star, they stop in Jerusalem and they ask for more clarity. The star only took them to this point, but they needed clarity as to where exactly the star was uh, illuminating them to. They consult the chief priests and teachers of the law. Herod invites them in, remember. And, and asks, they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They go exactly to the scroll of Micah, to what is our chapter 5, verse 2. And they quote what I just read to you. So the religious leaders at the time that Jesus was born understood that that passage referred to the Messiah and specifically the birthplace of the Messiah. Here's something else interesting about this verse. It tells us that this ruler who comes... 
his origins, it says, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. But most other English translations say it this way, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So it speaks here about a ruler whose origins are from a time that is, New King James says, everlasting. There are different terms that in the Hebrew language, the Jewish people use to denote time. And one of the terms that they use to denote time that cannot be measured, time that is immeasurable, is the phrase Yom Alam. And Yom Alam means the days of eternity. And it literally translates the days beyond the vanishing point. When there's no way to calculate time, they talk about time in terms of beyond the vanishing point, beyond anything that we could know or understand. That's the phrase used here to describe the origins of this ruler. That's how we know that this is no ordinary ruler. This is a passage in Micah 5 two speaking about the Messiah because Jesus being God steps out of the outside of time, comes, enters into our time-space continuum, and he comes to Bethlehem to die on a cross for our sins. But he has no origins. He is of everlasting. He is Yom Olam who came into our world. So Micah is probably best known for that verse, predicting 700 years before the birth of Christ, the actual birthplace of the Messiah. What I want us to do as we look through each of these 12 minor prophets, taking one prophet a week, is I want to look at Micah's uh, book here from the angle of three different uh, categories as he uh, speaks to us through the pages of Scripture here. And these are the categories. He's going to start out talking about the problems facing Israel in his day. And you'll note with me that they are not too dissimilar to the problems we face today. And then he's going to challenge us about the right way to live. He's going to talk about the practice. How should we live out our lives? And then he's going to end with a beautiful promise in chapter 7. This promise from God uh, concerning us. And so uh, we'll save that obviously to the end. We're going to go in that chronology. We're going to talk first about the problems. We got to get the remedy before we can get the, uh, sorry, we got to talk about the diagnosis before we can get to the remedy. And then uh, we'll talk about the practice and finally the remedy, the promise. So in the first few chapters, Micah spends some time talking about the diagnosis. What is sick about Israel and Judah? And I'm going to highlight five things. There are many things we could say, but I'm going to highlight five things from the first three chapters. And if you look here in chapter one, if your Bibles are still open there to chapter one, the first thing that he points out in terms of the problems facing the nation of Israel and Judah is the age-old problem of idolatry. And so here in chapter 1, look at verses 2 through 7. He says, Hear all you peoples. Listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is from the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? That's talking about the south. Uh, Sorry, it's talking about the north. Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? That's talking about the south. Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. 
I will pour down her stones into the valley, and I will uncover her foundations. Verse 7, all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay of a harlot. So Micah points out here and combines the fact that they are engaging in idolatry uh, and it is the equivalent of spiritual adultery. Uh, that they have carved images out of wood and stone and metal, and that they have bowed down to these images, and that they have worshipped these images. Now, where do they get the concept of these images? They got the concept from the neighboring nations around them, where Israel has forsaken the true and living God, and they started to adopt the gods of the nations around them, which included these carved images. So they were bowing down to these images and worshipping these images, and they were forsaking the true and living God. And in doing this, they are in a sense prostituting themselves. And that's why Micah uses the term here, harlot. You, 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 you've made yourselves like harlots. You're prostituting yourselves. You are committing a love affair, adultery with these other gods, and you have forsaken the true and living God. So they're guilty of idolatry. And then he calls out, if you go to chapter 2, he calls out something prevalent in his day, something that we see common in our own day as well, injustice. In chapter 2, look at the first two verses. He says, woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence, also houses, and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. And so, in other words, Micah is saying here how neighbor is mistreating neighbor. How they're lying on their beds at night, plotting how they can scheme to confiscate property and possessions from their fellow neighbors. To take them by force. So at night they plot, and then during the day they carry out their plans where they take advantage of one another and confiscate their property by force and rob a man of his inheritance. So they're guilty of injustice. Number three, if you go to chapter three, they're guilty of deception by the prophets. In chapter three, look at verse five. It says, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray. These prophets are leading people astray who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, I'll explain that, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Okay, your attention. So in the day, there were legitimate prophets and there were false prophets. Uh, just like today, you know, there are uh, real teachers and there are false teachers, okay? And you have to be wise and discerning about it. And so even in Micah's day, you know, you have uh, prophets that are called by God. You have Micah, you have Hosea, you have Amos, you have Isaiah. They're all ministering at that same time period. But you also have other prophets who are not prophets at all, who were basically running a nonprofit organization, okay? <laughs> but they were acting like prophets, and here's what they would do. If you fed them, this is what it means by while they chew with their teeth. If you fed them, they would tell you whatever you wanted to hear. They wouldn't tell you the truth. They would just say, peace be unto you. And they would tell you whatever you wanted to hear. Feed them a meal, prophesy for pay. Like you, like you give them a good meal and we'll tell you whatever you want to hear. If you don't feed us, that's the second part of verse 5, 
But who prepares war against him who puts nothing into their mouths? If you don't feed me, we're going to be violent against you. So these are these false prophets going around saying, well, for a good meal, I'll tell you what you want to hear. You don't feed me, you get punched in the face. And so that's what they were doing. So all this deception, not telling them the truth, deceiving them, telling them lies, all for a good meal. They were running a racket, not acting like true prophets at all. And so they were guilty of deceiving people. Number four, you also see something that I think you'll notice is not too unfamiliar with our own day. You have corruption among civil and spiritual leaders. In chapter 3, still in chapter 3, look at verses 9 through 11. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. And her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. So there's this corruption here among civil and spiritual leaders. They're guilty of social injustice. They're guilty of social inequality. They're guilty of wickedness. They're guilty of bribery. Just, you know, pay us and, and we'll, we'll take care of you. They're guilty of extortion. They're guilty of deception. It's not the Lord among us. We're fine giving people this false sense of security. So there's corruption among civil and spiritual leaders. And then the last thing that I'll point out, we could point out several other things, but something else they were guilty of was division within families. If you'll jump over to chapter 7 and look at verse 6. In chapter 7, verse 6, it says, For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. And so there was division. People within their own families, they were fighting and they were arguing and they were rising up against one another. And so all of this was happening at this particular time. It's not too indifferent from our own day. Idolatry and injustice, deception by false prophets and corruption by civil and spiritual leaders and division within families. All this is going on and more. And in the middle of this, I mean, technically near the end of it, but in chapter six, God asks them a question through the prophet Micah. And I'll summarize what God says, and then we'll actually look at the text here in chapter 6. God basically says this. God basically says to the people, what have I done to you that you should act like this? I don't know if you've ever thought of that in your life before. I, I know that I have. There have been times in my life where just gently the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart saying, you know, What have I ever done to you that you should treat me like this? And God is basically saying to them, as I think that he still says to us, have I not blessed you, taken care of you, provided for you, done so much for you, and yet you will treat me in response this way? Because all of their sin was really ultimately against the Lord. They were sinning against God. And God says, what have I done to you? That you should treat me like this. Look here in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. I mean, like, tell me. 
What have I done to you that you should act like this, that you should behave like this? He says there in verse 4, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. In other words, God just revisits a little bit of their history, a tiny little bit, to point out the fact that how he's taken care of them. He says, remember when you were slaves in Egypt? Who brought you up out of that bondage? Who delivered you from slavery? Was it not I, the Lord? Didn't I free you? Didn't I take care of you? The rest of verse 4, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. I raised up these two brothers and their sister as leaders to help you and to lead you and to love you and to care for you. He says in verse 5, O oh my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him. If you remember, there's a story in Israel's history where Balak, the king of the Moabites, was having trouble defeating the Israelites because God was with the Israelites. And so Balak hired Balaam, who was a false prophet of the day, to come and pronounce curses upon the Israelites. That's how Balak thought he'd gain victory over the Israelites. I'll hire Balaam, I'll give him money, he'll come and he'll pronounce these curses upon the Israelites. But what happened instead is every time Balaam opened his mouth to curse God's people, God put a blessing on his mouth and he blessed God's people. And Balak is standing around going, I'm paying you to curse these people. Why are you blessing these people? And Balaam's like, I can't help it. Every time I open my mouth, God puts blessings on my mouth for the Israelites. And so God's reminding him of this. He said, remember when, when Balaam came to curse you? And every time he opened his mouth, I put blessings on his lips to bless you, to care for you. He says there in the end of verse 5, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. The Acacia Grove was on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Gilgal was on the western side. And God then took them through the Jordan River into the promised land, going from east to west. And God is reminding them, didn't I take care of you all along the way? I brought you into the promised land that you would know the righteousness of the Lord. Why are you behaving in such a way? Look at all that I've done for you and so much more. I delivered you from slavery I took care of you along the way. I raised up leaders who would love you and lead you. When Balaam opened his mouth, I put blessings on his mouth for you. I brought you through the wilderness. I took you to the promised land. What have I done that you should treat me this way? The people are cut to the heart. And so they ask in response, what, what can we do to get right with you, Lord? Look at the rest here, Micah 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And so in response, they ask the Lord, what's it going to take? Do, do we need to increase all our sacrifices? including the offering of oil? Do you want like rivers of oil? Do you want thousands upon thousands of rams? Can we offer sacrifices to appease you? Do we even need, notice they ask, do we even need to offer our firstborn for the transgression of our lives, the fruit of our lives because of our sin? Should we offer our firstborn? And God basically says to them, no, your sacrifices are meaningless. And don't even think about offering your firstborn. That's what the pagan gods want of you. That's not me. Here's what I want. Verse 8, 
He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? The warnings and prophecies found in the minor prophet books can be intense, but they remind you of one thing. God is patient. He doesn't exact judgment on those who have sinned immediately. Instead, God shows mercy. He gives you ample time to come to Him in repentance, handing the wrongs you've committed over to Him and letting His love restore you. Because of that love for His creation, God sent His only Son to die on the cross in your place, taking your sins with Him. Jesus' death provides you the opportunity at a new life and forgiveness for all your wrongs. Are you ready to come to Jesus in repentance today and receive this grace? We'd like to talk more with you, so please give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. We also want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45 a.m., as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. If you're not able to be with us in person, we do offer each service online as well. Again, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to connect. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary's message. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.